Welcome to the Drunk Guys Book Club, where books aren't just for school, where book clubs aren't just for women, and it would be a crime not to have some beer. I'm Mike. I'm Nate. I'm Jimmy. And we're the Drunk Guys, and this week we are reading Crime and Punishment by Fyodor Dostoevsky. The best I'm going to get pronouncing that. Good enough. Yeah. Gudnov is a different Russian name. And I'm starting a beer. Well, there's a crime in the title, and the crime is murder. And wouldn't you say that uh, bludgeoning to spinsters to death with an axe is the ultimate beats? (laughs) (laughs) I would. (laughs) This is ultimate beats. A collaboration between Finback Brewery in New York City and... Jay Wakefield in Florida, I think. That is yes. a 9.1% alcohol double IPA with coconut that we have had many times. And we've made the same joke <laughs> connection every time. It works in almost every book. Uh, but I have a keg of it. And I'm like, I got to work this in somewhere. Um, so this is just still still great. I'm actually, I was just looking it up because I wanted to look up the ABV. And I found uh, a review of it from an actual like beer magazine. And, you know, they gave it, you know, I don't really understand their score. It's kind of like watching the Olympics, which which are happening as we're recording right now. Uh, I don't really understand the scoring rubric here. But I got a 93 <laughs> out of 100. No, because it's like it's got a, a 12 out of a, on Aroma. Okay. I don't know, is that out of 100? Is that out of 12? I don't know. <laughs> then a three on Appearance. I'm like, I really don't care what beer looks like. It's kind of a different sensory experience. An 18 on Flavor and a four on Mouthfeel. And somehow that turns into a 93 out of 100. So I don't really understand what that those other numbers they're, meant. They're using base 60 math. So, so it's Babylonian beer reviews. <laughs> yes. Doing it for Ninkasi. Um, so, yeah, it got really good reviews. And it should. It's fucking fantastic. Their like, one criticism is that... It's almost too much coconut flavor, which I would say... Not possible. Fuck you. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's the dumbest criticism I've ever heard of a beer. Like, ridiculous. So it's, it's fantastic. Um, it's almost too good. Yeah, right. <laughs> they, should, they, should be, they should be killed with an axe. <laughs> Maybe not that dramatic. I don't know. Maybe I'll feel differently after a few beers. So uh, we're doing this book. Uh, this was recommended to us by a patron. So thank you, CL, for suggesting this book just about a year and a half ago. And we got around <laughs> to doing it. because we like longer. It took us a year and a half to read this fucking book. And I listened to the audiobook. I did not read it. And even that took forever. Oh, man, am I the only one that read it with my eyes? I've In the past, I read the first part of the, like, part one. I read that in paper. And I was like, this is... You read 3%? Um, and I read the intro. <laughs> so it was about 17% of the book. Thank you. Um, <laughs> But it was, uh, yeah, I listened to it, and and I, I don't actually know, I'm, I'm curious to talk to you guys later about the end, maybe, which experience is the right way to do this book. I would say the third choice, not doing it. But, <laughs> so CL suggested this a while ago, and we felt like, you know, we've run out of excuses, <laughs> and it's a super famous book, and we're, you know, as, as uh, book nerds, we should have we read it at some point. recording for the first time. Yeah, it's, we had to take time to, to do this. Um, so it came out in um, eighteen. Well, it was serialized in. Um, I don't know, it was too long for books. It, 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 it was like a, it's like a phone book, man. but it came out in eighteen sixty six. Was when they started serializing it, and I guess they like recollected it, and I don't know if it started like January. Or I don't fucking care. Uh, in so a 18- strange coincidence, it was actually being serial serialized at the same time as War and Peace. Is that right? Yep. Or at least that's one thing I saw. I don't know if it was accurate, but 
I'm looking to check the date. Yeah, it was serialized, uh, War and Peace was serialized in The Russian Messenger from 1865 to 1867. So they did overlap. It took three years. And I think in the same publication, too. Yeah, they were, The Russian Messenger. The magazines must cost like $5. Uh, Or or a Kopeck, because everything (laughs) is virtually free, but no one has any money in this book. Like, there's a part, they're like... We bought you new clothes and a new hat and new boots and an, and a and a woman for the night and a new apartment and it was a ruble. And he's like, <laughs> "Shit, where am I going to get that much money?" <laughs> all right, so it was serialized and it was collected, and then I think we all actually read slash listened to the same translation because it was written in Russian, of course. Um, and I forgot which translation it was. We we coordinated, and then I promptly stopped paying attention to that. Uh, I'd listen to the Constance Garnett translation. Actually, half read, half listened to the Constance Garnett because that's the one that I could find. Oh, the fancy one. That's the. That's like the OG one that was like published in like 1870. Like that's old as shit. Really? Yeah, yeah. I, that's like the. She's the old the Victorian school. one. She did all the Russian okay. shit in the 90 in the 1800s. It's still, I think, is it like the standard? But we read the one by Oliver Reddy. Good for that dude. When did that come out? Because he's uh, it's a very recent translation. It came oh, out in like the first published like in 2015. Yeah, it's it's very, very recent. And I and there was a whole spiel in the beginning about like the translator's note and like what the challenges are. And like, you know, we're not really too qualified to comment on that, but um to try to like, for example, maintain the kind of like familiarity that in Russian speakers I mean, we have this in English too, but uh, you know how you might speak to someone that you are very close with versus someone that you are on a very formal, you know, plane with. How to like maintain that into English and deal with those sort of things? I, I remember there was a whole spiel in the introduction about that, and then a whole bunch of like just like a warning. Like by the way, you're going to think there were a thousand characters. There are only fifteen. They just all have a thousand names. Yeah, um, that was, was annoying. Good. That was really annoying. I feel like. I, I feel like a translator should just be like, fuck it. It's just going to all have the same, just like use the same name every time. <laughs> but I think that they have to change because that's how they speak to one another. The formality stuff is why the name changes. And, but they don't ever explain like which one's which when they change. So if you don't just know or can't figure it out, it is, it's confusing. Or you can't look, look it up on Wikipedia. You could do that. Though there is a character list at the front of this one that says all the different versions of them. Right, because everybody has, everybody has three names. And we, I think we may have mentioned this on War and Peace. I don't remember that night because I blacked out. But <laughs> yeah. there's a first name, then you have a, what looks like a middle name, which is like a patronymic. It's your father's name with slash yeah. son or daughter, basically. And then you have a family name. But then you also have uh, sort of diminutive forms of your first name. And I guess, you know, I'll, in... We, we, we all three of us use the diminutive form of our first names, actually, when we introduce ourselves, right? Because yeah. on paper, my name is Michael, but nobody but my fucking mom calls me that. Is it Mike? <laughs> um, but like, I, as I was reading, I was like, hey, is this like a culture? We should really talk about the book, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just anyway, saying. what we're setting up is it is annoying in many ways, but the plot yes. is actually kind of straightforward. So um, we start with Russ Kalinikov, who is in St. Petersburg, and he is a... Out, a down on his luck student who has been ejected from school because he can't come up with the three kopecks to pay for tuition. <laughs> and he lives in um, like a rented room. A hovel. Yeah. A garret. 
All right. Hey, some people brought their fucking thesaurus this week. And Isn't that when you rip someone's neck out? That's garrot. <laughs> oh. Okay. Um, and anyways, then, it's a miserable little room, and he's and he's just so and he's just so miserable, and he has no work and no money and and no will to do anything. He's yeah. kind of a dick. He's he's also in the beginning. He was physically ill. And and, 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 through, and in the middle and the end, he's physically yes. ill too. <laughs> but more, mostly in the beginning, he's sick. Would you say that he's a constant disappointment <laughs> to his fucking poor mother and sister? Absolutely, to everyone, to the motherland. This is this is <laughs> constant disappointment by Three's Brewing. This is a says Citra India Pale Ale, and it is seven point two percent alcohol. Tastes like a Three's Brewing IPA. <laughs> <laughs> what are the chances? Um, yeah, maybe it's a little bit more Citra E. I guess they're trying to jump on the New England IPA bandwagon without really doing it. You can't avoid it. It's these still days. very nice. Definitely uh, refreshing. If I had a lawn and needed to mow it, I would drink this, among other things. I've had to temper my lawn mowing uh, beer drinking. Jesus, it's, it's too hot. It's been too fucking hot. And then you're like, let me grab a beer, and it's a 16-ounce can of 9% IPA. And you're like, that's a terrible idea. It's 11.30 in, in the morning. sweating, <laughs> getting twice as dehydrated, uh, twice as fast, so four times. At least. I think, that, I think that math checks out. Yeah. So Raskalnikov is, his life blows. And he is a disappointment to everyone, including, well, you know what? Not including himself. He never takes any responsibility for his situation. Like, and, never want. At the very, well, very, yeah, yeah, very, sure. very, yeah, yeah, when it's <laughs> like, like, the like last page. sentence. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, okay. Sure. But he doesn't, you know, ever think, maybe, I could, maybe I'll be a barista. Like, he never thinks, I could, he's like woefully behind on his rent payments and he's in debt to everything, and he's just like, uh, and he only he's already pawned almost everything that he can pawn, which uh, to the awful pawnbroker who's going to be uh, really important. But he also wants to be an important man. Like he's the, another reason why he's disappointed in himself is because he thinks he's smarter than everybody else. Anyway, this sort of uh, great man or. Ubermensch is going to be important to the meaning of the book. Get a little, little Nietzsche in there, okay. And so, it's not the only appearance Hegel. of Nietzsche. So, he's like so mad. So, he's so, uh, not mad. He's so like, uh, life sucks. And then he goes to see his friend who is a total, who is an alcoholic. And, the, and his it's, name it's is... It's not a friend. friend he meets him randomly. And he oh, just and, meets him? And Russ Kalinkoff is too dumb to walk away as this guy goes through his whole life story in an incredibly long rant. And everyone else in the bar is like, oh my fucking God, we've heard this already. And Raskalnikov's like, I, I haven't. And he listens to it from fucking Mevodal. What the fuck is his name? Uh, it's Creole Lady Marmolotov. <laughs> Lady Marmolotov. <laughs> <laughs> I just every time I saw his name, it's like this guy's name is Jelly. Probably <laughs> <laughs> um, like beet jelly because they're in Russia and they don't have any fucking vegetables. He doesn't, and he doesn't preserve any of his money for anything. Well, he's preserving but his drinking. liver. Oh, it's 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 pickled. It's, it's yeah. well pickled. Yes. 
Marmaladov, I think. Marmeladov. I don't know where they're Such an comes. alcoholic that his family is, you know, completely destitute. So destitute that his teenage daughter had to sell herself into prostitution just to help provide not only his drinking money, but also, I'm sure, but also for her, like, younger, like, stepbrother and sisters and stuff like that. And her name is Sonia. She's going to be very important. Raskolnikov also gets a letter from his mother about his sister, and his sister is suddenly engaged to be married to some guy who sounds like a total asshole and is, but (laughs) it clearly... Well, Raskolnikov believes that Dunya is only going to marry him because he has money. Which he is. <laughs> yeah, which, which is the truth. And that Raskolnikov is so just mad that she would even do that. And it's really to support him. Like, she's going to marry this really uh, annoying guy named Luzin, Luzin. He's a loser. Who also has 17 other names. Yeah, so I'm just looking at the list of characters. Uh, everybody has... At least two versions of their own, two additional versions of their first name. So there's Rodion Romanovich Raskalnikov, or Rodja, Rodja, Rudyard Kipling, and Rodka when you're really drunk and you want to talk to him. And when the you've sist- had too much Rodka. And it was confusing <laughs> with the sister, like, because they call her almost exclusively Dunya and or like Donetchka or whatever. But her name, that's Avdatya, uh, which, like, oh, yeah, that's my mother's name, of course. Uh, uh, but what? God damn it. It's got a D in it. It's in the middle, yeah. You, you, build, you build the nicknames off the middle of the name. <laughs> but I feel like this is sort of thing where, like, a, a translator could have taken it, should take the liberty to be like, fuck it, like, just, just not they do that. They could have just color-coded it. Or just, I mean, I know it'd be, like, blasphemy to change their names to something different, but, like, just put, like titles or something in per, like, just in parentheses dunya you know just yeah. brackets dunya yeah it would just not, help us out it would be really <laughs> helpful constance it's hard enough for me to try to pronounce svidrigliov or whatever the fuck that guy's name is svidrigailov yeah there you go and papyrus whatever his name petrovich porphyry the periphery that guy yeah but he's a yeah well he's meeting jelly man in the bar and then jelly guy is like come back to my apartment let's hang out and he's like yeah that seems like a great idea but it's not i've been on a five-day bender avoiding my wife <laughs> after spending all the money that I, my teenage prostitute daughter brought home but yeah come by it'll be cool and so they go to the i'll put on some borscht for you world <laughs> russia <laughs> they don't have any borscht because uh his wife is dying of tuberculosis and all his kids are uh wearing rags and shoes with no bottoms on them and Too he many just drank kids. away all the booze and, you know, she's got tuberculosis, she's dying. Raskolnikov is having fevers, and he's tripping a little bit. And everybody wants to, <laughs> but they can't just be well. <laughs> That's true this for is, every character uh, in the book. This is Be Well Mead Ooh. Ginger Peach. It's, uh, it's mead. With ginger and peach? That's an interesting combination. Peaches, honey, and ginger. Okay, it's, what is this? 6.9%. Nice. Something Sonya does for money. Yeah. It's it's sweet. It's not as sweet as other meads we have, where where they're like, you know, 15%, and they taste like you're hurting. 
they're almost like a, a schnapps or something at that point. They're like so, yeah. so the, heavy. This is kind of like a soda. You can see that. It's not bad. It's interesting. A session mead. Yeah, a nice session mead. You know, for like a Viking hipster. <laughs> I need a session <laughs> mead. <laughs> I can't have too many session. I can't have too many meads there, Bjorn. Oh, yeah. I need to be light. So when we rape and pillage later, I don't have a sloshing belly. Uh, a 30% alcohol drink that's not exactly very crushable. <laughs> Maybe want, that was the point. I want it to be as crushable as a as a peasant's head when I ransack their village. <laughs> so this is all, this is the first 2% of the book. Yeah. And so he, so nothing's the happened yet. The m- most important event in the book is that um, Raskolnikov, he decides that the pawnbroker that not only does he owe, owe a bunch of money to the pawnbroker, but or he wants to get his stuff back, but that a lot that this person, this pawnbroker, is a like a parasite, and that he could help both himself and so many people if this pawnbroker just you know died, and basically if he if he murdered them, he would actually be doing a good thing because he would be helping all these people because they're just like a terrible person. It'd be a net gain for society. Yes. That's called utilitarianism, an important part of this book. A little John Stuart Mill for you there. Yep. Mm-hmm. Or John Stuart Miller likes. No, I'm sorry, I did not. <laughs> but he doesn't even have enough money to pay his utilitarian bills. He's poor. He has many utilitarians. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. So Raskolnikov gets an axe and like figures out a way to hide it in his coat. And then goes to the pawnbroker and goes to the pawnbroker and sort of pretends like, oh, I have this other thing I need, I'm going to pawn. Remember how I talked about? I was going to pawn this other thing. Then he goes in and this like in this sort of like middle-aged lady who is the, the pawnbroker is like, uh, okay. So he comes in and then takes out the axe and like hits her in the head with it. But hits her with the backside of the axe, with the blunt side. But anyway, still, still kills her. And then... Raskolnikov, so then he's like, oh, oh shit, I did it. And then he goes through and quickly like takes as much stuff as possible, takes her uh, money money bag and then money sack, whatever it's called, and then goes and finds like, oh, she had a bunch of keys. Scrotum, money scrotum. <laughs> money scrotum, yes. That's a technical term. <laughs> and then uh, takes her keys and finds where all she has stuff locked up and then takes it, sort of puts it in his coat, but... Raskolnikov forgot to lock the door behind him. So when he goes back out into the main room with a dead body, the other, the young, younger woman named Lizaveta. Lizaveta is there and she's a cousin, she's a sister, she's a sister, sister of, of the pawnbroker and her, her a nice person sister. Yes. Yeah, so who might be, um, she's mentally disabled. Slow. Yeah. <laughs> Has exploited and and Raskolnikov had seen has seen this and uh, had seen you know one of the one of his reasons in his mind is that he can help Lizabetta. Anyway, she comes in and is just like staring at the her sister's like dead body on the floor, and Raskolnikov realizes like oh shit I've been caught. So he takes the axe and he splits her head open and kills her. Also like oops, guess that was an accident. Um, or that was too bad. And then an accident. He, Uh, he didn't think he was gonna have to do that uh and then he realizes he has to lie so he locks the door 
but then people come up and they're like trying to get in. They're like shaking the like jig, you know like jiggle the lock and like hey what is locked from the inside? There must be somebody in there, but nobody's responding. And then they leave, and he manages to die you know open the door and dive across the hallway and hide in a room in, in a set of uh, apartments that are being painted either because they're being uh, people are going to move in and um, manages to not to basically avoid people. And then the other people go into the pawnbroker's apartment and see the corpses and like, Oh God. Oh, oh, oh. and then Raskolnikov does manage, manage to escape the building. And then he goes to his, and then he goes back to his hovel and hides the stuff he has and makes, and then he realizes, Oh, there's a little, there's not much, there's a little bit of blood on me. He hides the ax Somewhere, oh no, he puts it back where he found it. Yeah, he ditches it in some like woodcutter's thing. I know he literally found it in the yard. He managed to put it back where he found it, so that that's not uh, going to be connected to him because you know CSI hadn't been invented yet. <laughs> you know they can't just go enhance and then catch the <laughs> robber right away. Um, and so and then he goes back to his room and then immediately is like delirious for the next like 400 pages of the book <laughs> that's, just, that's pretty much yeah. and the end <laughs> yeah he's just like i need to sit down on the couch and then all of a sudden they're like dude it's fucking spring <laughs> and he's like what like he just passes out and there are people that you know like take care of him it's, it's amazing he's a pauper in the city but there's like a maid that brings food and like tidies up his little closet that he lives in. She's like a some sort of landlady. Well, there's the, there's the landlady and then there's like the assistant yeah. girl. Yeah. And um, part of this is like this is a time in Russian history where um, I mean it was also like the development of cities was kind of I think a later development for Russia as they were kind of always a little a little behind the rest of Europe on certain things. But this was a time when they were just like. Uh, liberating the serfs from from essentially slavery like it's a big shift in in the society there and so there's a lot of people like moving to these cities and like taking horrifically <laughs> shitty jobs for no money at all basically but still like, leagues better than they had exactly been. <laughs> this is so much better than being a slave and you're like i guess it's true and then there was like you know, there are a lot of passages, especially early on in the book, where I was like, "This this feels like um, some sort of weird uh, allegory or something." Like the part where the guy beats a horse to death—that's his dream. Oh no, the, that, he, that happens. He, really, he watches, that really he watches the guy happen. beat his horse, to and death. the guy's like, "It's, it's my fucking happens. horse. I'll beat it. It's not doing no, its no, job." Wait. That one was a dream. That one was one of his dreams. One was of it? his fever dreams, and he wakes up. He's like, "Ah, oh, I can't." I can't beat a lady to death, but then he decides to anyway. Oh yeah, but like, I felt like that was like a a, a metaphor for like the Russian oh, yeah. people. Everything is everything is heavily allegorical about the abolition of serfdom and the effects of outsiders on Russia and stuff that we don't know anything about. Yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna if you're if you're trying to write a paper, this is not the podcast for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully, CL finished that paper by now. <laughs> Why is, there's no way that it's going to get full credit at this time. I'm so sorry. We tried. <laughs> we did our best. We were drunk. So he beat that lady to death, and you know he killed him with an axe. And who uses axes? Lumberjacks, I would guess they do. And what do lumberjacks love to eat? 
Oh, I'll tell you. It's uh, it's 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 pancakes. So <laughs> I was about this, to say pancakes. Uh, yeah. This is death by flapjacks. <laughs> the word pancake does come up in the book at one point, and it was they were like, "This is just like one of those fucking long, very long monologues by like what the hell's the guy's name Bazumkin or the fuck Blumkin? What Res- was that? Resum- Resumikin. Resumikin. Yeah." Ramekin, like little dishes. Uh, Ramekin's making a speech, and he says, like, it's just like a pancake. And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? And I just, like, didn't care. Yeah, he's like, I'm going to move on. So what, what is this pancake beer? Is it made with pancakes? This is from Oscar Blues, which we haven't had in a very long time. Oh, yeah. They're like a kind of like a dogfish head kind of level yeah, beer. Yeah, like one of those ones that, like, those first breweries that you don't see that was like, oh, that's a unique, interesting brewery. And now there's, like, thousands. Um Six and a half percent. It is a ale with maple syrup, vanilla, lemon peel, nutmeg, lactose, and natural flavor. It tastes like fucking pancakes. That's impressive. It's pancakes just yeah. don't really I mean, have it's, much it's like, of a taste. It's I mean like pancakes and like syrup and stuff. It's it doesn't hit you immediately, but like once you like the aftertaste is distinctly very pancakey. It's kind of unsettling, if I'm being <laughs> honest. But it's it's not bad. Much like killing someone with an axe, this is better than killling someone with an axe. Um, what no, it, I can't say. I don't know. Is it, it better be. than killing two someones with an axe? Because <laughs> that's what happens in this book, Jimmy. Uh, I'll have to get back to you on that. Give me like a week. <laughs> but these flapjacks were a gift from the people that made us read this book. If I'm being honest, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should thank uh, our. our pals over at patreon and help support the podcast um and if you are a patron thank you very much and if you're considering becoming a patron then you know do it um but uh, you could head over to patreon.com slash drunk guys book club uh where in exchange for your hard-earned dollars or you know i think they'll convert it for you, you could do pounds or rubles. Kroner, rubles whatever you got uh, it's like about eight trillion kopecks um and you could uh get early access to episodes vote in our monthly book poll get uh, exclusive content and even tangible goods and get shouted out on certain episodes. So, and if, and again, if you, if you are a patron and you suggest a book, we read it usually faster than this one. No uh, promises. We didn't want to read this, but one. ultimately we get to them all. Uh, I could say that because we're not done with the podcast. Or anything. <laughs> Legally, we can say we will eventually maybe we, get we, to all we of them. We plan to do it. Uh, but we do we do take those requests very seriously. And if you're not a, if you're not into the Patreon thing, that's cool too. Uh, you could also just help with the podcast out by leaving a review wherever you listen. Uh, just give it five stars, or you know, just like tell your friends to listen to the podcast or something. Um, Nate, I see you're using a very fine beverage vessel. That is one of the things that might be given out on on. Uh, on this is pipe. our new Drunk Guys Book Club podcast uh, beer stein, glass frosted glass beer stein. So yeah. You can get one of these if you become a patron, and I this, can. I hold, I'm holding it up as if people can see it. Yeah, you know? <laughs> on, on this audit, auditory uh, medium, <laughs> this is not the best form of advertisement. But we, we'll put a picture somewhere. It's cup shaped with a handle, and it looks nicer filled with beer. Every six months, we send out the high high tier patrons. We send them a thing, and so they had the regular cup last time, and next time they can get this cup. Well, they get I mean, they get whatever I feel like you're sending them. <laughs> yeah. I got. I get. There's a little bit of mystery in there. I can't. You can't know up up front. You know, just like in this book. Like you think 
that you're one type of person and then things change and you realize you're someone else. You might think you're a mug person and you realize that you're really into like, I don't know, a nice travertine coaster. So, And you uh, might think that we're halfway done with this book, but we are really only one-sixth done with this book. Are, have we even gotten to part two yet? Um, this is part, the end of part we're one. We're starting part two, yeah. I'm not, it's like, I, I want to have another beer because I finished my book. We need to plow through it's, rush through this <laughs> raskolnikov is then like feverish and just like oh yeah, he develops dr frankenstein syndrome <laughs> and he's just, i'm sick forever for like the next i don't know like days and days but he, one of his college friends named Razumikin comes and takes care of him that sorry i gotta even wait there's a, a there's a, a siren yeah. outside i should really just wait it's someone coming to arrest you for saying that name so badly <laughs> some kind of tiny marmoset Oh, well, Razumikin. <laughs> they only live on Madagascar, you know. Uh, I think it's Razumikin, right? And Jimmy, you took Russian for five minutes. Uh, I took it for a year. And me and Nate listened to the audiobook. I'm pretty sure they said Razumikin. Oh, my audiobook was Razumikin, but... Oh, I really don't know. Mine was a nice... They said that... Well, did, did you, you... I assume you guys listened to the same audiobook. No, because he no, listened to a different not. translation. Oh, right, 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 right. Mine was by some nice British guy who kind of sounded like Neil Gaiman, and uh, uh, it was fun. He did. He made virtually no effort to do different voices, so it was, it was difficult at times to know what the fuck was going on. Yeah, whatever his name is, who cares? School chum shows up. <laughs> and both, like, takes care of him, but also spends the next couple of days, like, investigating all of... Raskolnikov's business and it's just kind of like when Raskolnikov finally kind of wakes up days later Razumikin is like I've got everything under control I've learned all these things about what you've got going on in your life and of course Razumik- uh, uh, Raskolnikov is like what what the fuck you know because he, he might be trying somebody. to conceal some things he doesn't want somebody investigate looking into him so uh, Raz- uh, Raskolnikov sort of like wakes up and then he he has to go down to the police station. He, he gets this notice. It's almost like a telegram, except it wasn't telegram. It gets a thing. It's, it gets a notice. It says, I have to go down to the police station. So he goes down. It's and a, a, a summons, the judge basically. Is like, the judge is like, it, you know, it's like, what the fuck are you doing? Well, you owe all this money to your landlord. And, and Raskolnikov is like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. No, that's, that definitely. That's that that is a fine thing for me to deal with. I am yeah. cool with that. Definitely. And then, but people are down there, down at the police station, are talking about the murders. Didn't this scene feel very Kafka-like? You know, just like, nobody knows what the fuck is going on. Well, a lot of it, a lot of this is like a, inspired by Gogol, who did a lot of that same like weird... Like the nose, we read that a million years ago? Yeah, a lot, a lot, in the notes that I read, because I read the Oliver Reddy version, and he had a fuck ton of like footnotes and stuff. And a lot of them were like, this is a reference to Google's whatever. This is a reference to Google's whatever. Because like, I guess Google was a big influence on uh, Dostoevsky. So a lot of it is about, you know, Google's making fun of the Russian bureaucracy shit that was rampant in this era. Of which Raskolnikov was studying to be part of that. And then he fucked up and didn't get it. And Razumikin... And then they sent him still to Siberia. Trying. Who knows if Google? Well, they also they also right. sent uh, Dostoevsky to Siberia. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, oh, well, yeah. <laughs> before pretend, like, almost shooting him, 
He was yeah. sentenced mm-hmm. to death, and he was literally lined up to get shot in public. And then there, like, flourish, and a guy hands a letter from a reprieve from the emperor. Like, nope, don't kill them. And he's like, really? Uh, okay, just four Go years. Break some rocks. Hard labor in Siberia. <laughs> I mean, they, I feel like they've been doing... I mean, I guess Siberia is really big. I guess they have a lot of rocks. Uh, but they, they have a lot of rocks. Anyway, it was for dabbling in socialism was what uh, <laughs> dabbling. He, got, he got sent to Siberia <laughs> to for. some light socialism. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is a crazy... You know, the history of Russia is... Fast um, and terrible. Complicated, yeah. But it was... Yeah, so he gets in trouble for... Oh, not he. In the story... Uh, Dostoevsky, and then, and then he's like, "I'm going to become a writer after this." So this is clearly like imbued into all of his writing. I've only ever, I don't think I've ever actually read anything else by him. I get confused between the other the Ruskies. I was going to say something else, but I'm pretty sure now it's Tolstoy wrote it. Um, I think he did the Idiot and the Brothers Karamazov. Yeah, notes from the underground. Anyway, we let, let's let's say the anal, and the anal ISIS for later because uh, we're talking out of our asses anyway. It's most the, of the worst book. kind of ISIS. That's the what is the worst. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing that did happen before Raskolnikov went into complete delirium is that he saw the alcoholic dude, the Mar- Mr. Marmalade, get <laughs> get run over by a cart. Oh yeah, that's like much later though already. That's like part two or three. No, part- because then he immediately runs. He's like after he re- he immediately runs and gives what little money he has left to. Yeah, to the widow. Oh, yeah, this is after you're right. It's it much yeah, later. He, there's just there's one important scene before that when they, he meets his sister's fiance. The douchebag shows up. The to loser. Say, hey. Yeah, and she and he's like, Which "Man, is, you suck. Get the fuck out of here." And he's like, "You're mean." I mean, he, he call him a loser, but he's really into skeleton and. Uh, which is confusing. Mean, I know it's a summer picture <laughs> happening right now, but <laughs> topical, a little top, a little, you know, uh, antipodal Olympic reference. Uh, <laughs> and, and it basically part two is just him hanging out with res. I'm, I'm saying resume because that's what my guy said. And, and then just being interviewed forever by what sound like incompetent police officers. And, yeah. At the very end is when he meets, when he sees, he's like leaving finally, and then he's like, "They're like, there's a dead guy in the street," and they're like, yeah, "It's Russia," and it's like, "Oh, that's, it's, a, it's important to the plot." And he's like, "Oh shit, let me check in on that," <laughs> because like there's a scene earlier where like there's a woman who has clearly just tried to kill herself by jumping into a like a, a river. She does kill herself, but I thought the cop, the cop like wades in and saves her. Earlier on, not you know, like in part one or two, like early-ish. There's yeah, like a, no, that yeah, there's I, a random I passage that did also happen. I don't remember if she actually dies or not, though. That's well, that's she also, doesn't matter. She's not even an important. And she that's was Russian a history summed up right there. <laughs> alcoholic who tried to kill herself. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So anyway, so at the so um, after all those, after a lot of talking, he goes outside and he sees Mister Marmalade get struck by a carriage, and then dies, and Raskolnikov. Uh, goes and gives the rest of his money, which is not a whole lot, rest of his money to the widow. But where did he get? He got the money from Razumikin. He got the money. Uh, a messenger came and gave him some money from his mother, who was coming to St. Petersburg to see him. And she sends him money ahead so that he could like have some money because he's destitute. So she gave him like 25 and he gives almost all of it to 
he he Marmalade's he, he spends himself down to zero to nothing, yeah. Yeah, because he he kind of has a poverty fetish, and he is obsessed with the suffering people. So he gives away all his money to this that's uh, family Jesus symbolism. Well, they talk about fucking Lazarus a whole shitload at this point in the book. Hmm. It's a little bit later, but yep, definitely important. Um, when Raskolnikov gets back, he's his mother and sister are in his tiny little shitty apartment. He's like, don't touch th- th- those magazines. I got them like that. They weren't stuck together for me. Like, I don't know what happened there. <laughs> uh, he see, So he sees Dunya, his, his sister, and his mother. And they're like, oh, it's so nice to see you, except we got this letter from Lusion that says, I'm, you're you know, yeah, you're, you were an asshole and that <laughs> he's, you're not allowed to see him ever again. That was the idea. Uh. <laughs> yeah. And then Raskolnikov is like, you know, well, uh, and they're like, and Dunya's like, but you're going to ruin the marriage. And Raskolnikov is like, totally fine with that. But Sonia, uh, Dunya is still going to try and save it. So they try to organize another meeting. But then Raskolnikov meet, ha, goes and speaks to the semi-intelligent detective for the first time. Or comes and talks to him, I mean, named Porfiry. Which sounds like a Greek name to me. And then Porfiry... So he Raskolnikov thinks that Porfiry thinks that Raskolnikov did it because he did it. So, uh, you know, he was kind of <laughs> onto something there, but still Raskolnikov is like, I'm smarter than you and you're not going to, you're not going to pin this on me coppers. He does a whole bunch of like head games with the cops too, where the cops are like, see, it's probably that kind of a person. Cause this is back in the day when police work was a hundred percent hunch related. And so he's like, I think it's that kind of a person does crime. And he's like, yeah, well maybe, um, and they're like, yeah, the first thing they would do is spend the money and do this. And he's like, if I did it, here's what I would do. And they're like, oh, what an interesting theory of the crime you've provided, Raskolnikov. Thanks for that. And he just describes what he actually did. I forget exactly. I forget if he's talking to Porfiry uh, or anybody else at this point. But he, he like starts to like almost like brag and try to show how clever he is. Well, he does believe himself to be very clever. If he was that smart, he would have gotten a goddamn scholarship, and there would be no plot. So (laughs) there you go. I don't know if that was a thing. I'm sure they had scholarships back then for rich children. (laughs) Well, he gets shit on a lot for being uh, the gentry, even though he's still poor. Right. So he's like the the gentry. Well, but he wasn't a serf. He wasn't a serf, but he was. But he's like the very bottom of the not serf class. Hmm. Surfs down, uh, really, for him. Yes, uh, it's it, it's another thing that reflects uh, Dostoevsky's actual life, because he was born to a like doctor who's a doctor's son, and the and the father worked in like in the city as a at some sort of you know. Uh, volunteer or like charity hospital or something like that and was later and later died under kind of mysterious circumstances where he could have been murdered by his own serfs uh, <laughs> and Dostoevsky never like always felt like out of place with the other much wealthier people in the city that they looked down on him They're like yeah yeah you're still a, a rube shithead so there's still a thousand pages in this book uh, maybe we should just <laughs> skip 
We're in like sections. we're we're oh. in part three right now. Um, they meet nowhere. We're about to get to part four. So because now we meet. Well, there's a guy who keeps calling him murderer, who's like a day laborer. And at the first, I thought in the book he was just going to kill that guy too, because that's how it would go if this book were written today. You know? Yes. Oh yeah. If this were a modern book, he would have murdered that guy. Um, but then later on, it turns out that the guy is actually just he, he doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about, and it was a red herring. And then we get into. Um, at the very end of part three, we meet Svidrigalov. Svidrigalov. Yeah, that guy. Svidra Guy Love. Which is interesting because he actually <laughs> loves the sister of Raskolnikov. And anything with the parts to do so. Any any port in the storm for him. <laughs> and he's like, I wanna I wanna marry your sister and I'm gonna give you lots of money. And But he was also he was her boss. She was the governess for his, because uh, he, he was in debtor's prison and a rich lady took a liking to him. So she bailed him out and married him. And he still banged whatever he wanted, but they had an understanding. And Dunya was his children's governess. The and au pair. There was rumors. There was rumors that she had come on to him, but it was really him. And eventually, you know, her reputation was sullied, but she got it back. And so he's in town to... His wife died, and he's in town to give her a bunch of money, and then he's going on, like, a fuck tour of Russia is his plan. Because he's just all about getting down. Except he's come to St. Petersburg to find Dunya and either and either stop the marriage to Luzhin or marry her himself. And he just goes on and on and on. He That guy likes to hear himself talk. He's a creeper. I think every character likes to hear himself talk in this fucking book. Well, every character represents some philosophy style that was popular at this time. That means nothing to any of us. Utilitarianism is still kind of a thing. <laughs> yeah, but like uh, Illusion, he represented the rational egoists. And Svidrigailov was like the sensualists or that was probably just like the silly word for it so i don't know i mean a lot of it which had to do with like russian thought processes and russia's you know place in the world and in europe and its future and it was stuff that i don't know anything about and none of us do and most people today have no idea about you know what we do know about know about beer i'm gonna fucking have one uh good (laughs) because god damn it one thing that'll help me understand this book better is getting drunk. Um, <laughs> so Raskolnikov thought um, by killing that old bitch and taking her, her pawn shop money that he'd be rolling in clouds, but it turns out he wasn't. Uh, but we have a beer for it anyway. This is Rolling in Clouds from Finback. It's 7.1% alcohol IPA. In their words, quote, in the manner of the new wave. So more synths. It's a lot of synths, and uh, Gary Newman sings yeah. about cars. This is basically Finback's other flagship beer. It's the other the beer that they have basically all the time. And I had been avoiding. I had it. We had it on the podcast at some point, maybe when we were even there. And I was like, "That's fine." But then, because I'm a, a queen for anything that's new, I never. I was like, "Oh, there's a new thing. Let me try that instead." You're a new queen. <laughs> I mean, I'm from Queens. What are you trying to say, Nate? <laughs> you're just saying that because you're on the other side of that screen and I can't, I can't hit you. Uh, anyway, so, <laughs> um, 
but I've not had it in a long time because I was like, I had that beer, whatever. But it just by, by happenstance, when I was at the brewery the day, the guy rang me up for some four packs to go. And he's like, oh, shit, we're out of that one. And this was the same price. I was like, fuck it, I'll just take that. Because I'll just drink that. It'll, it won't, it'll be fine. It won't be a problem. <laughs> and, uh, and I had it. I was like, this is actually a fucking great beer. Uh, so next time I'm looking to uh, punish myself with five gallons of beer in a keg form, I'm, I'm probably just getting one of these. It's, it's goddamn good. I mean, it tastes, it tastes pretty good. Almost as good as getting away with murder. But, um, well, it tastes as good as almost getting away with murder. How about that? Uh, that's how the book goes. So now we're, we're about halfway through the book, CL, in case your professor asks you. Um, so uh, <laughs> they have the second meeting with Luzin, Luzin, and he is just like a total asshole. And so Dunya tells him to leave and never come back. So Raskolnikov is like, yay, great. This is, <laughs> this is awesome. And then they have this long conversation with Razumikin, Razumikin, whatever his name is. And Razumikin is like, asshole. I know, let's start a magazine. We'll, and, or we'll still start a publishing company or no, what did he call it's it? Like he wants to what call a, it. Uh, they want to translate uh, German translation shit. publishers. Like they translate stuff. And sell the translations. Yeah, because Rezu Mikin and Raskolnikov, you know, they're pretty educated, so they can do that kind of thing. And they're like, and, and they're like, oh yeah, this all sounds great. And th- but then after, like, the plan is a ag- almost like the plan is agreed to. Like, yeah, we've got the money to do this. We're all going to be rich, or at least we're going to be fine. Raskolnikov immediately gets up and says, "I have to leave forever. I'm never going to see you again." Rezu Mikin, take care of them, and then leaves. And everyone is like, what the fuck? Why the hell would you do that? Raskolnikov then goes to Sonia and talks with Sonia and finds out that... um, Who is the daughter, by the way, of Marmalade, who died, and she's she's a hooker. And and she's the teenage prostitute. And then I forget who was. It was Illusion who wrote the letter saying, like, and you know, Raskolnikov gave money to that hooker allegedly to pay for her father's funeral, but we all know what he was really paying for. It was the butt. And that, like, he, like, you know, there's, like, some, like, stupid backstabbing going on here. Um, But he actually goes there, like, oh, let's hang out with Sonia and see what's going on over there. So he goes to her, and then they talk about God a lot. As you do with hookers. (laughs) Yep. And Sonia is very, very religious, She's very holy. Holy, yeah. I was going to say this. God damn it. <laughs> and she really does represent like pure, like religious purity, Redemption. I guess you could say. She's Even the hunter with the heart of gold. Uh, cliche. And she, they, and turns out she was the fr- she was a friend of Lizabetta, one of the people that you know the the girl that. Raskolnikov murdered, you know, split her head open. They read from the Bible and they read the story of Lazarus. Which has been coming up a lot. Like people just keep writing, like, do you believe in this? Do you believe in Lazarus? And he's like, I guess. Sure, why not? But then they, you get the, that was all foreshadowing for here. Wait, maybe it's because he was trying to fuck the hooker, but he couldn't get his boner to rise again. So they had to read the story of Lazarus. <laughs> and that's... This is a deep literary thing that's happening right here. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that's she it. says rise. <laughs> Put that in your paper, CL. <laughs> you could quote. You can quote Nate on it. <laughs> Make sure I'm credited as drunk Nate. Yeah, drunk Nate. <laughs> How do you? Yeah, what's what's the MLA format for fucking podcast? <laughs> it probably involves italics. Oh, it's a, it's a lot of colons and semi. It's very confusing. <laughs> I always preferred Chicago. Myself. Chicago's uh, history. History people use Chicago. It's way better. It's way better than fucking MLA, which is garbage. You did. You did none of it, Jimmy, because you went to music school. <laughs> so, yeah, I, don't, I don't know. Fuck that. MLA is the in-text citation where you just got obnoxious parentheses things in the middle of the paragraph. I fucking and hate in-text citation. It's, it's so it's really annoying. <laughs> Chicago is footnotes and all that jazz. And all that. <laughs> God damn it. So he's talking to uh, Sonia about all this sad stuff, you know, with some thick, thick messaging. And, uh, but on the other side of the wall, Svidrigailov, Eternal Creeper. It's no, it actually there. wasn't this scene. That's the, that's the next scene. Uh, so yeah. it's not the, he does it more than once. Okay. Yeah, they have call a couple, the cops says, I'm tells uh, Sonia, I will come back tomorrow and tell you who killed your friend. And to then, be continued. How do you not bum, know bum, right bum. now? I just need to give me a I minute. Mean, this is probably where, you know, one of the breaks in the published, you know, when it was published in a serial format, probably right here was where one of the, you know, breaks came in and then people had to wait a month or two to find out what happens next. I bet this was published like weekly, you know, like it would still take years. No, well, there's six parts, and they're all like five to seven parts each. Mm-hmm. And then there's a fucking obnoxious amount of epilogues, uh, <laughs> as Russians are wont to do. I think it was probably each chapter was, a, if it was a weekly publication, each chapter was probably a thing. Otherwise, like, how thick is this fucking magazine that you're getting 79 pages of, of Crime and Punishment? And then 111 pages of War and Peace every every month. It had to be it had to be more. It's just like highlights. And there's a lot of goofus. There's less goofus and gallant in it. You could read this in a dentist's office while you're waiting. So then, uh, what the fuck do they do? Raskolnikov goes to no. Raskolnikov goes to see the detective. The smarter detective named Porfiry goes to see mm. him, and then they have a long conversation about stuff. But and where Porfiry tries to like play mind games and get Raskolnikov to just admit it, but Raskolnikov is like, "You idiot! I'm not going to do that." But then, but then Porfiry does have a trick, which is to have a painter, the one of the painter dudes from the from the day that. Uh, Raskolnikov actually did murder him, murder, not murder him, murder the, murder the two women, um, come out and sort of like jump in and go surprise <laughs> as if to try and like freak him out a little bit, <laughs> freak out Raskolnikov, but it doesn't, Police work was very it doesn't work back then. <laughs> and then a very strange thing happens, which is this painter dude, he then admits to the murders this is I did not understand why. I don't know if it actually made sense in the book or there was an explanation that made sense, but why? Later on, he, they said that uh, he was part of a particularly devout religious sect that uh, believed 
that suffering is good for you. So he thought, if I go to Siberia and suffer prison for these murders, it's good for my soul, even though I didn't do it. It was kind of weird, but you know, that's what they said. Reading about Dostoevsky's like, other stuff and his views, I got some strong, like almost Buddhist vibes from uh, some of his messages, like basically like, all oh, life is suffering and shitty and... Well, which is I know is like identical to Buddhism, but that, I mean that's that's just, that's just it, Russia and but. the eightfold path to Siberia. Yeah, I mean in that in that regard, life is suffering means well in Mother Russia, in Russia, the, the, the noble truths it? tell you, but it yeah. was it, this this suffering is more like it's good for you. It makes you more holy and more good for your soul if you suffer, not. All life is suffering. That's this this is different. the suffering as Christ suffered on the cross. Yeah, it's like Catholic uh-huh. shit of like always be suffering for Jesus. Or I guess Russian Orthodox, which is basically the same thing. But different hats. Um, different hat. Different hats. I think the Catholic thing is not always, uh, speaking as one person who was raised Catholic here, it's not about being always suffering. It's about always feeling bad, which is different. It's always feeling guilty. And uh, being reminded light of that. suffering, as opposed to suffering, unless you're in like Opus Day and you wear a hair shirt. Russian suffering always has to be a little bit more extreme. Oh well, yeah, but they don't even call it, they just call it living uh, over there. <laughs> <laughs> well, in the book, in Crime and Punishment, suffering is important. Basically, Raskolnikov is he feels like he needs to suffer in order to redeem himself, and that's definitely the the you know suffering like Jesus suffered on the cross kind of thing. But anyway, we'll get to that a little bit later because we still just have a whole bunch more to the plot. Okay, so then there's the... Uh, there's a funeral party. Fucking, yeah, the guy. The funeral, funeral party, party. Yeah. Where for Mr. Marmalade... <laughs> where... um, the No main, one shows up. It's no, the kind well, of party where Marmalade doves cry. <laughs> well... Uh, the people that live there show up, but almost no one that she invited shows up. Well, and so she gets pissed. So what we skipped is that the wife of Marmela Dove is she had been previously married to like a much more higher status guy, and she sees herself as you know in the upper echelon of society, and she's like slumming it with this drunk douchebag guy who got you know fired from the city clerk job that he had. And she's constantly talking. Whenever she gets a chance, which she, she's not in the book that much to talk, but whenever she's there, she, you know when I met Grand Viscount, who gives a fuck, and he said I was charming, and you know that's all she cares about. So she's looking for an opportunity to continue, you know, to like redeem her social status, and just while dying. Yeah, well, yeah, before it's too late. But just drunk assholes show up at her party. You're like, oh, let's hang out here. And what's inside of that? Uh, what the fuck is samovar? <laughs> samovar, yeah. yeah. I bet it's vodka. And then they just go in there, and <laughs> it's a uh, it's, it's terrible. It's a terrible party. But then, who shows up at the party? But head douchebag, Lusion. And at the party, so there was a there was a scene. No, maybe it's just described where Lucian had gone to speak to Sonia, or Sonia had come to Sonia speak to him. Sonia goes to Lucian's house because he had had that philosophical debate with his roommate about shit that doesn't make any sense to and, us, and him counting <laughs> his money. Yeah, and he's like, "I bet that cunt's going to steal my hundred ruble note." Well, he sold a bunch of bonds. 
well, Lucian is counting his money when he does give 10 rubles to Sonia, even though he has like thousands literally in cash on the table in front of him. He's like, here's 10, 10 rubles. But then he shows up at the uh, funeral, the funeral party. And then at the party, Lucian says, Sonia stole a hundred rubles. I, I was it. missing a 100 ruble note. And Sonia's like, of course I didn't do that. Like, I, I would never, because, you know, she's all pure. And then I'll work and for it. Lusion, <laughs> and Lusion is like, search her. You'll see. Search her. And then somebody searches her and finds a 100-pound note. And Lusion says, aha, see, I told you. But then Lusion's roommate, who I have no fucking idea what his name was. But anyway, his roommate, at all. who came with him nope. to the funeral, says, oh, no, she didn't steal that. You put that in her pocket when you showed her out. You put that there. I thought you were just trying to give her more money, but no, you were p- trying to plant some evidence to make her look bad. And so he, Lucian, looks really, really bad, and this is, and then he leaves, and that's like the end of the, I don't think he's in the book, rest of the book. I think that's it for him. But anyway, the landlady, who's all the, the who's also at the, uh, or landlord who's also at the funeral literally it's like you he caused this whole big scene and is like and then just kicks them out kicks the whole family well, someone out. someone throws a cup at Lucian and they miss and they hit her instead mm. and so she gets pissed and kicks all the family out of their apartment this is the the german lady right yes literally it's like your stupid alcoholic father just died but get the fuck out now you're homeless how do you like them apples they don't like it they've never seen an apple they wish they had one. <laughs> yeah, that's that's how it goes at some Russian parties. You just your bubble really borscht there, you know. <laughs> no, can't think of any other Russian foods. Uh, cabbage, it's just cabbage. Suffering. Uh, no one in this book has any food. Uh, so <laughs> then Raskolnikov goes back to Sonia, <laughs> and he tells Sonia, "Hey, by the way, I I killed those ladies." And then he gives a bunch of reasons. That are all weird. Well, one of them is like, great men should do whatever the fuck they want. The theory of the Ubermensch. Which is Hegel, you said? No, Nietzsche. I, mean, I assume Nietzsche because it was German. Well, but which Hegel, is I mean, Nietzsche. In, in the notes, it says this is the Hegelian version of it. I don't know. Because Nietzsche's book hadn't come out yet. That wasn't going to come out for another 20 years. But it is Nietzsche, uh, Thus Spake Zarathustra, where he talked about the Ubermensch. For that, that song. That hadn't come out yet. So, <laughs> even though from what I understand, it is very similar. It's a very similar idea. Where people, if they're like, there are certain just great people in the world who sort of move above hist- morality. Move, because they can move history forward almost, I guess, they they no longer they they don't have to quite follow the same rules of morality as everybody else, which means and he talks about Napoleon. It's interesting because you mentioned that War and Peace came out the same fucking time, and like in War and Peace, where they pretty... also revered Napoleon. Yeah, I, I I did not know that till you said it earlier before. But like, but they were like, Napoleon's great. He had to do some shit, you know. You got to crack some eggs to make an omelet, kind of attitude. <laughs> and then, um, yeah. But War and Peace has a very different take on Napoleon than that. Well, and this this is this is his theory that he's working on, and in the end, it kind of turns out not to be the case. Mm. Yeah. 
Because in his heart, he's a good dude, and he gives all his money away to every poor family and prostitute he sees. But he also wants to beat women with an axe and, you know, get away with it because he could be a great person. But he, he can't. Well, that's one of the themes in the book, I think, is right. Like, we're not who we think we are. You know? We're not, no one's above other people. But, like, we have a view of ourselves at, at what we think, think we are, but then there's what we actually are. Like, even right yeah. up until he murders the pawnbroker, he's going on, like, it, he has, like, an inner monologue thing, or the narrator says it, I forget who now, but they're like, this is how people get caught for crimes. They make silly mistakes. I'm not going to make silly mistakes. And then he fucking fucks it all up. He yeah, it is really sucks. Bad. He's a total <laughs> clown. But he's like, I know everything. I'm so clever. And it's like, actually, we think we're clever. We think we know what's going on. And then it turns out, no, you don't. Um, and then there are many other examples in the book, I'm sure, but that's the one that comes to mind right now. Like, I feel like that was one of the... One of the and he thinks he's, a, he, he's capable of being cold and calculated and, you know, this is what's better for the world and it's an ultra-utilitarian view of things. But actually, the guilt makes him feverish and weak, <laughs> and he can't even like spend the money, and he's just useless because he's incapable of, of being that person. It's kind of like the theoretical versus what actually happens. Like, oh, you have these theories about the way things should be and the way things I think they are. But when it comes down to it, it doesn't work that way. Totally. And yeah. all, this, all this philosophy shit is like, yeah, it's all nice to think about, but the way things actually happen... It doesn't. It doesn't happen the way you you want it to work out to match your grand philosophy. It's almost like almost everyone believes that they're above average, and they're smarter than the average person. Yeah, yeah. And I guess that was true in the eighteen Russia in the eighteen sixties as it is today. Yeah. So Raskolnikov goes to Sonia and tells Sonia that he murdered both of them. It was me. I did it. I'm Spartacus. But then, um, next door, Svidrigilov, whatever the fuck his name is, Svidrigilov. Svidrigilov. He hears it. He he overhears it because you know he's they screaming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But also outside in the street, the mom, the mother, and the little children are like literally dying. It's like the mother has dressed up the kids to sort of like. Perform or something like that's all they have because they're they're homeless. But then she basically goes completely crazy and dies. And I forget what happens to the kids. Svidrigailov has set up money for them. He gets them into like a good orphanage where they'll stay until they're eleven and then get a job. <laughs> and then, uh, <laughs> but he set up he set up like a basically like a trust for each of them. Now, they won't be kept together, but you know, considering what could have been for a Russian orphan. They do okay. Their older sister, who wasn't even yet an orphan, is a prostitute. So, yeah. you know, they're doing better than could be expected. Yeah. So, uh, essentially, this last part is that Raskolnikov is kind of deciding that he has to turn himself in and that he has to... I mean, actually, there are a bunch of other things that do happen, but Raskolnikov decides that he's going to have to turn himself in as a form of redemption because he needs to suffer in order to sort of, you know be redeemed that's what redemption means so of course you know <laughs> uh but then the fucking svidrigilov uh fucking svidrigilov 
Oh my God. He just fucking won't shut up and goes on and on and on and like talks about all this stuff and nobody cares. And I wasn't even really paying attention to that part. But basically Raskolnikov decides that he like tells his sister that he was the murderer, but he can't tell his mother. Oh, Svedrigli Sergeylov. If he kills himself because, because why? I don't know. Because Dunya says that she'll never love him. And so he's like, well, that was the last thing I had going for me was maybe that that'll work out and it doesn't. So he offs himself. There we go. And so Raskolnikov does turn himself in and then he goes to gets, and then the epilogue is him being sent to Siberia and he only gets eight years in Siberia, which is a long fucking time, but he only gets eight years because somebody else confessed to it already. So they're just, well, they also had a, Basically, what amounts to like the insanity defense, because he was, they said he was crazy, and then like he, he did this weird crime that doesn't make any sense really, and then he stole a bunch of stuff, but he didn't really take any of it, and then he left it all behind. He didn't even know it was in, was in the stuff he stole, and it's like clearly he's crazy because why would you steal a bunch of money and then not even use any of it? He must have been out of his mind, and then why would he confess? He's such a nice guy too. Do we skip when Spaghetti uh, shoot uh, <laughs> Spaghettios? Spaghettios. When Dunya tries to shoot him, that was yeah. She tries to shoot him, but then he takes the gun because she's not good at shooting. But then Raskolnikov says bye to his mom, and then she dies instantly as soon as he's arrested. Basically, right? Yes, they try to keep from her that he's been arrested, but she knows, and she dies a few weeks later of sadness. Well, the Russians call winter. That Siberia sucks, but he's going to suffer through it. And Sonia goes with him and just gets a job in town. Maybe hooking. They don't really totally hooking. Like, (laughs) what other marketable skills does she have? Yeah, and she becomes like the like the grand messenger and delivery person for everyone in the jail, where everyone hates him because he's not a serf and he just suffers. And then he realizes that. He can do this, you know, just seven more years and then he can get out of prison and marry Sonia. And basically in the last page, he opens the Bible and is like, oh, there's a Bible. I'm going to read it. And then the end. I think that's important. An important little fact. Also, Sonia giving him a cross, giving him a crucifix just before he goes to confess. It's important too. And that is basically the plot, though, of course, we skipped a ton of things. You can't sum up crime and punishment in an hour. No. Can't be done. Well, or in a, a fucking hour and 19 minutes, but whatever. Well, uh, we did 10 minutes at the beginning about names. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> so, okay. So, um, what's it about? <laughs> crime and punishment. Mostly crime. There's really very little crime or punishment. So, actually, Anything I have one more out? beer. Oh, so before I actually, I actually did spend uh, more time than I ever do in the podcast, spoiler, uh, about our effort level, uh, reading about what the book was about. Usually we're able to figure enough out on our own, but this one I was like, I have fucking no idea. Not this one. So I read some no. shit, I watched some videos, uh, but my initial, and I still think decent theory, is that a big part of it, if not all of it, is about the Ro- Russian society at the time and sort of either a condemnation of that or at least using that as a, like a 
point to, to meditate on, to comment on other things. And it's as if he's talking about the social fabric. <laughs> A little keeping the faith. Uh, <laughs> this is called Social Fabric from Finbeck. And it's a double dry hopped double IPA that comes in at a modest 8% alcohol, or as they call it in Russia, breakfast. Uh, a double <laughs> IPA, double dry hopped with mosaic and 007. Who might have fought against Russians? 006 was Russian. But 007 fought against him, is what I was saying. Yeah. This is delicious. This is a great IPA. You know, it's interesting. I was reading a thing about like why people hate IPAs, or some people hate IPAs. And they were saying, you know, are these? Why do they hate the new ones? Or, or just just in general? I mean, it's it's always been a sort of polarizing style, or at least off-putting to some people. Mm. Um, now, it, it, probably not polarizing is not the right word for it these days because it is ubiquitous. But uh, many people hear the word hoppy, and that means different things to different people. Like hoppy ten years ago meant like it was bitter as an old, you know, Russian, an old Russian woman. <laughs> whose husband was in Siberia. But now hoppy means juicy and sweet and all these other things. This is great. Like This this is a sweet-tasting beer, but it, it could taste hop flavors in it. It's a really great, really delicious beer. I'm still drinking pancakes. How's your diabetes coming there, Jimmy, if you're just drinking pancakes? I'm a fucking American, aren't I? That's right. Um, so anyway, my... my uh, Reading the book, I just I could not help but see it and like, wow, this is like a really harsh criticism of like the class system and the organization of society in Russia at the time. You know, like it sucks to live in the cities, but they have it so much better than the serfs. Like, yeah. like they're like impoverished and 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 destitute, and everybody spits on them, and they're like, I have hired a peasant to carry my bags 30 miles and I will kick him if he's late. Like they're just, it's unbelievable how shitty Russia was for almost everybody at the time this book came out. Um, Except so I feel like, for everyone in war and peace because they're the aristocracy. Right. Yeah. They're at the very top of the uh, hierarchy. And these characters in this book are much closer, not to the bottom necessarily, but they're the middle, I guess. Pretty close. Yeah, I guess like there's like there's a huge bottom step, which is just the slaves, and then a step above that are the people who have clawed their way in somehow or been lucky to get into the level where you're not a serf. Um, but this is also around the time when like the serfs were lib- freed, so I feel like this is a huge criticism commentary on the class system of Russia, which to me as a guy reading this in New York City. In 2021 means fucking nothing because I, <laughs> yeah. I don't know any of that shit. I have a degree in history. doesn't mean I know all these details unless I studied like Russian history, which I didn't. So reading the book, that's what struck me a lot about that. And also like criticism of religion in there a little bit, like how the pawnbroker woman, she wanted to leave all of her money to the church or to the monastery or something. And then there's like all this other shit. It's where literally ripping everybody off and being a being predatory with, to give uh, it to you the know, church, forcing other people into poverty just so she can give it away to the church. Yeah, so they could pray for her forever. I mean, in that sense, it kind of sounds almost. But that's a criticism of the church, which is actually not quite the same thing as criticism of religion, because I thought it was actually mm. very religious. 
That's a, that's a very important distinction and uh, articulate well. I, well, okay, th- knowing at least a bit about, you know, at least Western European history and so sort of the opulence of the church, I thought, uh, okay, so I think what the book is about is what you said, but it's also, I was also kind of wondering to myself, why was this, po- why is this popular? You know, why did people like it so much? And I think it has to do with the fact that it was also a criticism of the sort of new way of thinking at the time, which is like, you could say is rationalism, but that's not quite the right word for it. It's the new philosophies of uh, utilitarianism, but was actually called Russian nihilism, which really sounds, really sounds dark. It's a, has a, a really intense form of death metal, <laughs> which is really, which is really just utilitarianism because, uh, Raskolnikov, he sort of justifies to himself why he's going to murder the pawnbroker using a like utilitarian u- utilitarianism explanation. Like she is a bad person. This is going to be good for everybody else, and especially good for and also good for me. And don't I deserve it? And then that turns out to be a bad thing. Not only because murdering people is wrong, but also because he also has to murder the innocent girl at the same time just to try and get away with it but then he feels terrible and and sort of like suffers his sort of like soul is suffering because of it and then has to find religion his redemption is finding religion hence the story of lazarus coming up so many times including let me read to read to me the story of lazarus please and then finding oh deciding to open the bible on like the last line of the book, you know, and people like people liked that. That was a very appealing idea of sticking with tradition, sticking with and being true to religion in the face of sort of you could kind of say capitalism and all these new philosophies that were coming into Russia at the time. That is another big thing that I know primarily through reading the footnotes because I wouldn't know this at all otherwise. But the uh, one of the big criticisms of it is. Russia not doing its own thing and being too heavily influenced by Western ideas. He didn't, Dostoevsky didn't like that. Like Raskolnikov, his theories of the Ubermensch and all that stuff, it's, it's a young, smart man led astray by these Western ideas. There's, it's, they say in the introduction that the fact that it takes place in St. Petersburg is an important thing because St. Petersburg was a very weird city because for, you know, all of Russian history, the, the capital is Moscow. And that was like the shit forever for them. But then some czar along the way was it like... It was Peter. Peter so, the Great. Oh yeah, of course. Duh. <laughs> Peter was like, we need to build a, another city and we're going to build it Western style. And so St. Petersburg doesn't look like other Russian cities. It's, it looks like Paris or he wanted it to look like Paris. Yeah. And so, like, all the aristocracy people only fucking spoke French and didn't speak Russian anymore. And so, Dostoevsky was like, we need to have Russia grow and be great in its own way and stop trying to just do what everybody else is doing. There are characters that represent other philosophies that are bad, or, you know, in his mind, bad for Russia. And they fuck everything up. And Raskolnikov, he's torn between... What's great for it? Because Porfiry likes Raskolnikov. 
He wants him to confess and redeem himself because then he feels like he could go on to become a great intellectual and be good for Russia and lead Russia mm-hmm. as an intellectual rather than just locking him, locking him up. I know this because I read the footnotes. I would not have any idea about any of this shit otherwise because, you know, who would? Who would? Not even Russians nowadays. So then that leads, I mean, not to get Russia ahead to the who should, who should read this question, but like, how should you read this book? You know? With help. You need a lot of help. I read the cliff notes every chapter after I finished reading it so I could understand. I, I, was, uh, I was reading the Spark Notes because uh, I'm a little more modern, but I was reading. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Is that newer? I, don't even, I thought they were the same. Cliff's Notes, like, I feel like Hemingway wrote some Cliff's Notes. Like, that's fucking old shit. But the cl- Cliff's Notes look like they're made out of, uh, you know, police caution tape. Like, that, that cover, yeah, <laughs> like, of do, black yeah. and yellow shit. Um, it's certainly not the kind of book you can just pick up and read. Like you, Absolutely you, not. You, you, you might get something out of it, but I was watching, I watched a whole lot of videos and read a lot of shit about people talking about, like, why is this book good and what's, and they're all, and, and there's people going, oh, it's an amazing book. It tells you so much about what it means to be a person and human and all this shit. I, I didn't get much of that. Sure. Because I didn't have someone helping me. And maybe because I was trying to read it fast ish, um, maybe if I took, six weeks to read it and then as soon as i was done i picked it up i started back over and read it again i would have gotten something different out of it but it's it's difficult you really need a lot of assistance to read this book and to get it because if it was a book about a guy who killed some old women and eventually confesses his guilt it could have been a lot shorter i mean a telltale heart is like six paragraphs and it tells that story (laughs) That's really it, it. Does the same thing. It tells the same story. The guy commits murder and then gets caught. That's the story, and it's a page. Well, they don't long. mention surfs once. No, they don't have any surfs. No surfing. But this is not the kind of book you read to be entertained by. You read this to be edified or whatever that word is. You know, like, you're supposed to get. Learned. You're supposed to get something out of it, and it's really fucking hard to get it on your own. It's impossible to get it on your own unless you have an extensive educational background in Russian history and 1800s philosophy. Right. A very you need to know. You need to know branch. both. Like, unless you know the teachings of Hegel and Nietzsche and all that shit, like, you're not going to even pick up that that was a thing. Man, I took a fucking college class where I had to read Hegel. That shit is impenetrable. That is impossible to read. I don't want to ever even try. So to have to have all that knowledge in in head first before you even start to d- read the book, it's uh, intimidating to say the least. You could read it without that stuff, but it would be lessened significantly. So which was better, Crime and Punishment or War and Peace? Crime, crime and Punishment. Crime and Punishment, absolutely. 100%. Yep. Definitely. Tell, actually, actually, tell us what you thought. reading it. <laughs> It, it wasn't bad. It was. It was. It was hard, but there were just long stretches where, like, what the fuck is this about? Like, why do I care about this? In a way, War and Peace was easier to read. Yeah, um, because there wasn't so much dense philosophy shit in it that you that was so difficult to like pick up on. But That's I mean, right. they're meant or to be there meant to be. There was, different. and we missed it. <laughs> right. Also, possibility. Uh, we were t- we were drunk at the time. 
War and Peace, Tolstoy was trying to write something completely different. He was trying to write a history book, but sort of in novel form, like history of the Napoleonic Wars, Russia and Napoleonic Wars, sort of, but in novel form to make it a little bit more appealing. Whereas this was meant to be a sort of much more personal novel. And I liked it a lot better. Um, I can't say I would have ever picked this up by choice, no. but... No. Like definitely, I would. It was okay. It was all right. If you're not reading this in the class, for you to just pick it up to read it, there's a there's a high degree of pretension at play there. You know, like either you, know, like, you feel guilt about not having read it, or <laughs> no, like, seriously, like this is like yeah, one of those no, famous absolutely. books, and you're like, oh, I should read that. I, I that's the only reason I read the first part of it. I was like, oh, I'm supposed to read this book at some point in my life. Let me try to read it. Is and this on the thousand and one novels? Absolutely, I'm, I'm sure. Okay, there you go. It's one absolutely. more. Absolutely, but it's not. If you just like, oh, what am I going to read at the beach today? You're not going to pick up Crime and Punishment unless you're a real tool. Maybe um, a Russian beach, right? Where it's just cold and covered yeah. in dead people. Get in the mood. <laughs> Another thing, yeah. when we did our episode on Native Son by Richard Wright, I said, you know, I think this is, I think Native Son is supposed to be Crime and Punishment, or he was basing his mm. book on Crime and Punishment. And at the time, but at the time I'd only read the beginning, and I, I was like, oh, okay. I thought it was, and I was read it all the way through, and then I tried to Google it, you know, Native Son... Richard Wright, Crime and Punishment, and there's just nothing. There are just no results. But reading Crime and Punishment now, I still think I'm right. I still think, like, the overall, like, in a very general way, the overall plot of the two books is actually very similar. And I think that's an important piece of information to think about when you're trying to interpret Native Son. But anyway, apparently I now have a uh, dissertation topic because nobody's <laughs> ever written about this before. Apparently it's just me. There you go. I mean, obviously if people know a lot more than about this than me, did, haven't thought of it, then I must be wrong. But yeah, I'm fucking know. right. Not necessarily. <laughs> fucking right. <laughs> the way uh, the soft sciences go in academia these days, like you just have to be assertive enough with that theory. Like, you can't be soft about it. No, it's not soft serve at all. Uh, it's yeah, hard versus soft science. It's a very hard, turgid science, <laughs> <laughs> and you need to, you know, tumescent science. It, 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 in modern literary sort of analysis, it seems like if you could just like find enough stuff in the text to support what you're saying, then you could at least convince some people. Like so, you could at least write an article about it. Yeah, and then. So, and then you can publish that, and then someone responds to you and says, no, you're fucking wrong, you idiot. And then you can respond to that <laughs> and then go back and forth a bunch Comic-Con. of times. And suddenly, you can get tenure at a university. <laughs> That's all it takes. If this, if this podcasting thing doesn't work out, we have a plan. <laughs> at least for Nate. Professor Nate, I like the sound of that. I, I, I don't really see too much similarity, but I'm willing to be convinced. I don't remember it at all. It was a million books ago, Native Son. My God, that was like... The that, ending of this one made more sense than Native Son. That's when he's like living in the fucking sewer, basically, or in the basement. No, no, no that's... Um, that's Invisible well, Man? They, 
It's invisible man. Oh, Maybe it's invisible kills, chops off the girl's I head. I want mad racist. Oh shit. Oh fuck. Oh uh, yeah. I, yeah. Now I need the other one. Yeah. And then he goes to jail. Yeah. He, yeah. Yeah. He put her in the furnace. Okay. Yeah. Well, they both get caught at the end. Although Raskolnikov well, this one he confesses. Confess, and a native son. Bigger he goes just to gets trial. Caught. Yeah. I mean that one's trained oh, about racism. Yeah. 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 And this is like a like what it means to be a person and like Russian identity. Uh, sounds like Nate's on the tenure track, but he's not, he doesn't have it yet. I don't know. I, I don't remember the book well enough to comment on that. I mean, there's definitely similarities. I think the purpose of each one is very different, but that's because I don't know what the purpose of Native Son was. Oh, I mean, I guess it was about how racist things are, and yeah, sure. But we still didn't really understand. He did do it. Yeah, it was. So that was really confusing still. And so did Raskolnikov. Anyway, there are, there are more similarities, but I won't get into it <laughs> right now because it's already long enough. Raskolnikov didn't beat it in a movie theater, though, beforehand. <laughs> they didn't say he didn't. Oh, that's true. That's true. <laughs> movie Maybe. theaters didn't exist, so <sighs> that might be a hint. He did it at a cabaret. I'm going to do a stroganoff right now. <laughs> a stroganoff. <laughs> so who should read this book? Students. <laughs> Russians in class. Oh yeah, you need a full-on sherpa or whatever the Russian word for sherpa is. Sherpa. 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 <laughs> Sherpovich. <laughs> we never even mentioned that Raskolnikov is a is a symbolic name because Rosko means schism or split because he's got a split personality. Right. Footnotes, baby. I d- I actually did read that and then cuz he's split between these two different I don't fucking. I don't so know. Russians would get that part. I guess. Know. Well, uh, they'd see like the word Splitikov. But is is it not a real name too? Did he just make this name up? Uh, it might be a real name, but it's like it's like naming a character in an American book, Larry Bad Guyson. It's like oh, well, that, wonder my, that's my Larry <laughs> heroin addict because he's a heroin addict. Well, that's my question. Like, is it that obvious to a Russian? Well, I mean, it's for reader? them. That's literally the word. Yeah, but like, I can imagine a scenario where there's a, a an English language novel where the last the character's Larry last schism head the yeah. la- <laughs> character's last name is like Smith, and you're like because he makes things like in a Smith. Yeah, yeah, and you're like, I would never have fucking thought that because no one says that word, no one thinks of that. I don't know how obvious that would be to a Russian reader is all I'm saying. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I did read the thing about the Roscoe, whatever the fuck his name is, um, which I think just Roscoe is that dog that finds bed bugs. Uh, if you watch those commercials. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? No. There's like a shitty New York City... Um, oh, with like the dogs that sniff out bed bugs. Yes, and like I've got yeah. Roscoe here, and he's just like, I found bed bugs, and it's, it's this terrible <laughs> it's commercial. Just one dog is very busy. So that's all. When I think of Roscoe, that's all I think because you know it doesn't really translate well. I, I don't know how. I, I'm just I'm just curious. I'm not I'm I'm not necessarily skeptical, but I'm just curious. Like to the average Russian reader, would they and instantly look at that and be like, ah, oh, this is what that character's name means, or is that the sort of I thing don't know. Only fucking professors know. I, I I don't know how how I don't know how unrealistic of a name it is. It could be like a regular name, or it could be something pretty direct. But are we agreed that nobody should read this book for leisure? 
There's no leisure involved in this. It's mostly punishment. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, you can if you want to, but I wouldn't recommend it. Yeah. You just, I'm not, we're not going to stop you, but it's not... Well, if you find masochism is get a, a lot of leisure. Out of it. Well, I don't know. It's still okay. A lot of what I saw, it's like the kind of book you have to read many times, and I just don't have fucking time for that. I'm never going to do that. I'm not going to read this again. I have no time for reading things more than once, usually. Even if I did. I, I just... I, it wasn't terrible. It wasn't. It wasn't the worst thing, but it was. He could have used a better editor. You know, <laughs> it's Russian, not Russian literature. It's always long. It's cold there, and they have nothing to do. Well, if you have nothing to do, why don't you tell us what you thought? Send us an email to drunkguysbookclub at gmail dot com. Follow us on Twitter at drunkguysbc, or go to Facebook and Instagram at drunkguysbookclub. And if you're still hanging around, why don't you leave us a review at uh, wherever you're listening. Just run it to five stars. One for every 100 pages too long this book was. And you can also uh, go to Goodreads and be our friends because friends help you get through Russian winters. And Russian summers. Yes. And check out the Hopped Up Network, a network of independent beer podcasters. And thanks for listening. 